Thank you, Steve, for making it today. Uh, I'd really appreciate if you can give a quick intro about who you are and what your business is. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know the topic is all around insurance, but it'll be good to hear from you about your business and your background uh, for our audience. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the invite, and I'm honoured to be the, the first guest. <laughs> Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I represent Ardent Insurance Solutions. So we're an insurance broker uh, based in North Sydney. So we, we look after a wide variety of clients, uh, property owners, uh, manufacturers, retailers, uh, everything, uh, for, you know, at each end of the scale and in between. Um, I guess we, we've been operating on operation, sorry, for three years now. Uh, prior to that, uh, I worked with the fellow directors and shareholders in a prior business, uh, but all up in, in general insurance now for, uh, I believe, 13 years. So it's uh, it's flown by. Uh, I've learned a lot. A lot's changed. Um, and it's quite exciting, the, the pace of change that's coming through now as well. Mm -hmm. we're, uh, we're, we're seeing uh, new and exciting things nearly every every day, uh, new new approaches and angles from, from different providers. And uh, as always, the landscape's evolving. There's always something happening that... Uh, that affects insurance and as insurance really underpins you know the economy as a whole um it, it's certainly a you know a topic that's right up there all the time yeah and i think there's like two two sides of the coin there are there's one 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 set of audience who say oh i don't think i need insurance yes the others go and say yeah we definitely need it you know, what is it? Like, can you define cyber? So we're obviously talking more on cyber yeah. insurance and focusing on cyber because, you know, hey, when we spoke a few weeks ago, I was talking about how some clients who we speak to don't think they are a target for cybersecurity. Uh, and they say, oh, we'll just buy insurance uh, because if you have an attack, we'll be covered by insurance. Mm -hmm. But when I spoke to you, you were saying, you have a different, you know, experience where clients says, oh, no, we are secure. We don't have to buy insurance. So it's like, you know, there are two sides of the story, really. Like, what's going on? You know, I'm experiencing one kind of response. You're experiencing what? So let's start with what's insurance and why is it important? And even if you are secure and you've done all the things under the planet and you've built Fort Knox, mm -hmm. why do you still need insurance? Yeah, so I guess at its core, insurance really is just the transfer of risk. So it's moving it from your company's balance sheet to the insurer's balance sheet. So there's a whole lot of, uh, I guess, a whole lot of work that comes before you need to transfer a risk uh, that works in terms of risk management. So I guess you're identifying the risk, you're treating it, um, you're mitigating it, and then you can decide to retain that exposure or pass it off to an insurer. And I guess what we're seeing specifically with cyber is that uh, it's a relatively new product uh, and a product that insurers are really starting to fully understand and grasp the, the scope of what the exposure is on a global basis. Uh, and because it's relatively new, um, and in the early days, premiums were quite cheap and it was quite easy to get the cover. Nowadays, we're starting to see that harden up significantly. And to, to even qualify to get a cyber insurance, you need to have the correct mitigation in place. Uh, because the insurer just doesn't want to foot the bill for any any loss that you have. Um, if if that's the attitude I think someone has, you would expect premiums to to skyrocket. Um, so there needs to be mitigation of risk. The old adage of prevention is better than cure. Uh, and there's some relatively simple things everyone can do to reduce the cyber exposure. And then obviously some more complex things as well. Uh, but really the the qualifying 
level, so to speak, for someone to obtain cyber insurance now is a lot higher than where it was before. The bars, bars. But why? Why, why is that the case? Uh, because of the insurers are starting to grasp the, the exposure they have, the amount of claims that have, have come through. And I think COVID has had a big uh, impact on that as well in terms of remote work. So, uh, you know, a lot of companies invest quite heavily in their, their um, IT infrastructure in the office. Um, somebody at home doesn't have that same level of security in place. So uh, bad actors, so to speak, are, are finding ways through people's home networks um, to access, a, you know, a, a server and, and so on. Um, so, uh, you know, that's certainly exposed insurers a lot. There's, there's a lot happening globally with obviously Ukraine and what people are expecting to happen through and, and after this in terms of cyber espionage and attack. Um, and, and just overall, uh, we've seen a hardening of the insurance market in total. So insurers aren't making money from, from investments as they were before by investing that premium pool that they take. They really need to underwrite to make a profit rather than underwriting to win market share, which is what we saw, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago. Insurers are really just trying to, to beat each other on price in a race to the bottom to get all that market share in, to invest that premium pool and make a return. Now they're really looking to, to underwrite a profit on a, on a per account basis. So it's, the, I guess the landscape now is very different to where it was five years ago. And risk mitigation is, is the, the most paramount thing you can do to, to get the best terms from an insurer and ensure you're protected. Uh, but I guess back to what you're saying about why should someone take insurance, um, you know, we, we compare it to you know, a physical loss. So you might own a, a building and put sprinklers in, have all the, the correct fire protection in place. That doesn't mean a fire won't occur. Um, and, and in, I guess, cyber context, uh, human error accounts for 60 to 70% of claims. Uh, the stat changes slightly. So you can have the, the best protection in place and through human error, you can still suffer a loss. So I think what you were saying about, um, you know, so prospects of clients not having or not seeing the benefit of mitigation because they just want to take out an insurance policy, that may have been true a number of years ago, but, but not anymore because that bar is so high to, to qualify to get insurance. But also we see on the, the flip side, clients saying we don't need insurance. We've got some really good IT people. They know what they're doing um, and they've, they've assured us that we're fine. So when you say them, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but when you, it's very, 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 very powerful what you say. So when you say that the bar is now higher to get insurance, and I have seen in our business how the cost of insurance has gone up. Yes. Well, we have invested in our own security quite significantly, but insurers saying no, but even then you, we're going to charge you more, yeah. and we're paying the brunt of it. But when you say bar is very high, what does a customer have to do to gain insurance or and we'll talk about risk because it's a very important point so what so if i'm a customer and i say i don't want to do any security i'll just transfer the risk of cyber attack and data breaches to my insurer and here's my premium will i get the will i get the cover or will i what what do i what do you mean by the bar is high what yeah so if, if somebody's not doing any mitigation they you know they're not uh updating antivirus software, they don't have firewalls in place, they're not changing passwords each month, they don't have multi-factor authentication on email or uh, remote access um, connections. Um, all of these things are fairly straightforward and fairly low cost, but they make a massive difference in terms of what the exposure is for a loss to occur. Uh, you know, most claims we see now 
can be completely avoided just by having multi-factor authentication in place. And it's a it's a low cost. Um, look, it can be a little bit annoying to have to you know what code sometimes um, for for the staff and employees, but uh, the the cost that it saves is is phenomenal. Uh, we regularly see claims over a hundred thousand dollars that could have been avoided simply because. Uh, or it could have been avoided if they had multi-factor authentication in place. So, so, so yeah. does insurance cover negligence? So let's say I switched on multi-factor authentication, but for some reason that fell off and it didn't work a particular day and the hacker got in. Yeah. Like I remember this ad for, from an insurance company. I wouldn't name any company as such, but they had this ad, which is very interesting. It was home insurance. They said, yes. if you forget to lock your front door, and you would probably know which insurer I'm talking about, <laughs> If you forget to lock your front door and you, a thief got in, we will still cover your home and contents insurance, which I thought was a very bold statement for an insurer to make. Yep. Is that similarly true in cyber that I've done everything, but by mistake, I forgot to change my password. Will, will, my, will my cover be accepted? Uh, for the most part, yes. And that's because the insurer wants to see that you've got the processes and procedures in place um, where things fall through the practice human error. So you might forget to... To, to do something that, that you normally do, as long as you can establish that this is our standard process, this is what we, we require everyone to do, uh, there's a little bit of a slip up and there's a loss. Look, they'll probably ask some pretty hard questions um, and have some you know really important requirements to put in place afterwards. But generally that claim would still be, still be paid, unless of course the wording states otherwise. Sorry. The devil's always in the detail, of course. Um, but in general, most claims that happen are through human error. Um, and it's more about the, the attitude of the organization. Because you said 60 to 70% of claims are happening because of human error. That's yeah. quite significant, yeah. right? So, so, you know, it all also equates back to what the dollar value of these claims are. Mm -hmm. Because if I have too many human errors, then obviously, is it human error or is it a process failure or a process that actually doesn't even exist? Yeah, and I think um, as we progress, you know, insurers will ask more questions around the culture of the business as well. Um, so if there's regular, and oh, they are asking some of these questions now in regards to uh, regular security awareness training, you know, well, what is the, the C-suite's attitude to cybersecurity in the workplace? And this is, well, it's already moved away from being a, a technology exposure to a, just a full stop exposure to a business. You know, so directors really need to take this seriously as to, something that they're responsible for. Like it's not just something they could offload to their technology officer or, or someone similar. Uh, but really it's, it's about the culture in the workplace, the processes and procedures, uh, how proactive uh, a client is in terms of avoiding a loss. Um, and, you know, insurers are seeing this, then, then they're happy to, to provide the, the coverage. Um, but you mentioned, you know, just in your own business with premiums are increasing, coverage is, is slimming down. So generally, when we see the market harder, which is where we are now, uh, really it's, um, you know, the premiums increase, the excesses increase, and the coverage shrinks. shrinks. So the, the three avenues insurers use to limit their exposure. Sure. Uh, so certainly if, if you put yourself in an insurer's shoes, if somebody's not doing all of the right steps to prevent a loss, uh, that's a big exposure for you as the insurer. And if, if your capacity is limited and you're only able to provide a, a specific amount of capacity to the market, you really want to give that to, to companies and insurers that are doing the right thing, right thing yeah. and limit your potential exposure. It's like, the, you know, I'm paying insurance hoping that I'll get covered. If insurers are buying 
selling the premium, thinking that they don't have to pay the claim. Exactly right. You know, so let's go back to the topic about risk, transferring risk. Because this is an area which is I feel is gray because I'm transferring the risk of the cost which will incur to to fix an issue I face with a cyber attack. But the actual risk still remains, correct? Right? Yeah. Because yeah. you know that's what I'm trying to educate uh, educate the market and that mm-hmm. just by buying insurance, you have not mitigated the risk of a cyber attack. No. You have mitigated the risk of the exposure of dollars which will be spent, mm-hmm. business disruption which will happen because of a cyber. Is that is that a fair statement? Yeah. So I guess what we're saying, risk transfer, um, the risk still remains, of course. The exposure is still there. It's just transferring who's liable to pay for that. So the insurer, when they provide a policy, they're really stepping into your shoes to cover your loss. Uh, if, if you didn't have a policy, then then you would be covering the loss, essentially. So it's, you know, and, and every business has, you know, you know, a large number of different risks and exposures. Um, some are more potentially more impact, have more impact on the business than others. Mm-hmm. Some are more financially expensive. Uh, so you may choose as a business to retain certain risk on your balance sheet and know that if, you know, X occurs, you know, I'll incur that amount. Uh, and you might say, well, hang on a second, you know, the potential loss from this happening, we, we can simply cannot afford that. So you transfer that to the insurer by taking out a policy. And yeah, the premium really is set based on the insurer's termination of what exposure they feel you have. So somebody that has a much better mitigation will generally receive a much more competitive premium than somebody that, that isn't doing all of those things. Um, what we're seeing now though is rather than just a very expensive premium, um, you're just simply not able to get the cover. And that's an issue because I think as we go forward as well, it will almost be a requirement in you know business to business dealings that your supplier has a cyber policy in place uh, because if, if they're impacted, that will impact you. So you wanna make sure that same way you ask for you know, uh, proof that a supplier has you know, liability in place or cover for their contents of stock or the manufacturing capability that you want to know they've got cyber in place. That way, if they go down, it you know, well, there's less chance for them going down and impacting you, really. Uh, so I think we'll start to see that. And, and really, at the moment, it's almost like, you know, uh, if you have an email address and you run a business, you need cyber full stop. It's, it's really getting to that point. So when you say it's becoming difficult, are you saying... The market also has shrunk and cyber insurers. So I remember you mentioned that there were 23 providers or 27 and now there are how many roughly? It depends exactly what we're looking at, but with specifically cyber, um, it was offered as almost an add-on in other policy classes. So management liability, uh, for example, it was an add-on. Now it's really getting carved out by insurers uh, wherever possible. And to be honest, those uh, extra bonus cyber coverage you were getting really wasn't covering much. Um, uh, so basically insurers are covering that out completely and really want you to take a standalone cyber product. Um, uh, with IT liability specifically, um, yeah, the, the market has, has shrunk because the capacity just isn't there anymore. So yeah, I think it was 20 odd from memory, 20 odd providers uh, three, four years ago. Okay. Now you're looking at maybe five, six, 12, depending on, on the activities of the business. Um, so some, every insurer has their own appetite. They have their own reinsurance arrangements. They have their own security uh, requirements from their security provider that they need to meet. Um, so they're only willing to play in a, a small space of 
what the market is. Uh, and, you know, some insurers are here, some are here, some overlap. Um, so it really depends on the, when we look at a client, their specific business activities, what they're involved with, you know, are they dealing with government, are they dealing with mining operations, uh, what additional exposure is there that um, somebody in doing the same activities but with a different client base um, has because the profile and the exposure could be completely different even though business A is doing the same as business B, mm. just for different clients. So, yeah, it's, it's very, uh, yeah, it's difficult to navigate that at the moment. So I think having the, the correct advice is absolutely paramount. Otherwise, you quickly find yourself put out the cover you need. So what's happening? So if I have to apply for cyber insurance, mm -hmm. will my insurer actually come and do a full assessment of my business? Like I, I've seen some insurers, they will send somebody on site to check your building and, and your fire facility. Are insurers actually going to that extent of doing on-site visits and stuff, or is it just filling up a questionnaire? For the most part, not at the moment. Uh, on the, the high end, that that's certainly something that, that happens from time to time. But for, your, I guess, your SME, your middle, medium businesses there, uh, no, it's generally a, a questionnaire that's filled out. And, you know, there are a lot of questions asked about, you know, what are you doing? Have you had penetration testing done? You know, do you have multi-factor authentication in place? How often are passwords required to be changed? How often are you training the staff? And is there a, a written um, procedure with that? Or is it just, you know, you, you, you know, asking them to watch a video once a year or something like that? Um, so the insurer is asking more and more questions. Um, I think we might get to the point where, uh, I guess what you were, you were referring to was with a, a property survey. So it's ensuring a building. The insurer wants someone to come out and have a look at what the exposure is. If you're doing all the right things, you know, I guess you could quite easily translate that to cyber. We might see that in the years to come. Um, but right now, the insurer generally believes that if you've answered a question on the proposal form that you're, you're telling the truth and you're you know, trying to hide something from them. Uh, and there's disclosure requirements with that anyway. Um, so, so what yeah. if I say, yes, I have multi-factor authentication. Yes, I have antivirus. Yes, I have pen test, but I actually don't have any of this. And I have an attack. Yes, if you have a, a loss that occurs... Uh, the insurer will engage their, their panel to, to come and have a look at what's happened. What's a panel? It's like so a, their service providers. Yes. Like an investigator, you mean, or a forensic analyst? Yeah, yeah forensic IT generally. It depends on, on the type of loss that's occurred. But uh, generally, the, yeah, they'd send an expert out there to have a look at what's happened. And the, the main purpose for that is to stop the loss, you know, increasing. You know, stop it where it is, lock everything down and prevent further loss. Then they get into the investigation phase where they have a look at what actually happened and we'll actually receive a report that details exactly from beginning to end how this, this loss occurred, what could be done in the future to prevent it happening again. So if you've said that, yes, you've got multi-factor authentication in place and then it's discovered um, you know, when a claim or a loss occurs that you don't, then potentially the, the claim could be void. Completely. And the insurer could avoid the, the claim completely. It depends if, if that's an innocent mistake or if it's an intentional, uh, you know, deception that you, you've, you've attempted. Um, but uh, generally, you know, we find most, most clients are, you know, completely open and honest. Yep. Uh, it's, it's very, very, uh, you know, rare for someone to actually intentionally mislead the intro. So, um, yeah, that's, that's generally the approach now. Again, uh, the way things are going, the market will only continue to get harder in the cyberspace. Um, so capacity will reduce, the claims will increase. It's just a, it's, it's, it's a given. So the way the insurers approach this could change going forward. But, um, 
yeah, it's it's not quite to the the level that we're seeing on the property where they're having people physically come out and have a look. Uh, but I certainly wouldn't put that. So you basically are saying cyber insurance is not a product which you just go out and you have 50 insurers standing out to sell you something desperately. It's become a very niche product, you know, select clients only get it because unless you have the right kind of mm. security and implementations place only then you'll be even considered to. So have you seen insurers saying, sorry, thank you, but yeah. we can't insure you? Yeah, definitely we have. What do these clients do if they can't get insured? Like Then they, they need to retain that risk, essentially. So unless they're willing to put all the, the correct mitigation in place, and that's really what the insurer is seeing. So no no client is ever past the point of redemption, so to speak. It's it's about what they're doing to prevent the loss. So uh, we've seen instances where clients have had claims uh, because they've had lax uh, mitigation or security in place, and then they, they turn that completely around and they're then an attractive risk to an insurer because a client that's been through something like that really understands how painful it is. Mm -hmm. And regardless of insurance or not, they don't want to go through it again. Um, it has it has a huge impact. So uh, I think yeah, a client that's been through a through a, a loss like that has done all the right things to turn it around uh, and has then taken out insurance, I think is, is you know, a really informed client that understands the exposure. What we find a lot of the time, clients haven't had claims don't fully appreciate how, how much of an impact it has. Uh, no matter how much we, we try to demonstrate that, it's uh, I think that's just human nature. And uh, the less you've been through, you don't fully understand how, how bad it is. So, um, yeah, I don't think anyone's past the point of redemption. It's just if someone's not willing to put all these steps in place and, and prevent a loss, you know, the insurers say, well, you know, if you're not willing to prevent the loss, you know, we're not comfortable picking it up if when it happens. And it really is a, a matter of when a loss will occur. It's not if anymore. It's it's just a matter of when. Uh, I remember years ago, you know, you'd, you'd get a, a dodgy or a, a scam email, and you could pick it up quite easy. These days, they're made to look so legitimate that um, you know people that see them every day can can fall prey to them. And you know, I've almost clicked on a button that I shouldn't have a few times. Um, and I see this stuff every day. So it's only going to get harder and harder to avoid falling victim to something like this. And the array of, of losses that fall under a cyber plan are huge. It's not just simply a, a penetra, like a, a crypto locker attack or a... Um, so what are they, what are you seeing? Because obviously I have, yeah, yeah. Well, I see a lot of other stuff, but what are, you, what are you on the other side of the fence seeing? Yeah. Because you're dealing with before the fact and after the fact, meaning you're, you're advising clients on what kind of, what is the right kind of cover, what you need to do in terms of insurance. But then if they have a claim, then you're looking at what costs the claim. And yeah. so can you shed some light on, you know, what, what kind of attacks you're seeing and yeah, what is. type of claims are being asked, right? Yeah, certainly the, the biggest thing at the moment uh, or biggest exposure would be payment misdirection schemes and also social engineering, really, where if somebody's uh, posing to be somebody of authority and, and somebody's voluntarily making a payment because of that. So with payment misdirections... Um, you know, one of the, the questions insurers ask is when a payment's raised, is there dual authority required to put the payment through? And um, you'd be surprised so, the amount of clients that don't have dual authorization in place um, because it's just a little bit impractical. It holds up payments and things like that. But it's, uh, it's quite easy for somebody to, on, say, a supplier's end or, a, a, you know, uh, change or basically get into their email, send through an invoice that, has account details slightly changed um, and you go and make that payment without checking that 
you know, it's a legitimate change. Uh, even just making a phone call to the supplier and say, have your bank details changed, um, could prevent so many claims that we're seeing. We've had you know, multiple six-figure claims come through just in the last six months that we've seen where just a simple phone call could have prevented. What size of businesses are these? Like really large businesses or small businesses? Um, all over the all over the place, really. It's um, Anyone can really fall victim to this. Um, it's just a matter of the, the processes you have in place. So... I wouldn't say it's one particular size of client that's seeing this. It's it's all across the SME space. Um, so what's the definition of SME? Is it 10 people, 20, 100, or in terms of millions of dollars, is $5 million business, $20 million? Quite loose. So I guess we, we tend to say we operate in the mid to high SME space. So, But we've got clients all across the band. So you know, for us, SME is anything from you know 10 employees to 100 employees. Uh, turnover depends on the, the occupational, the activities, uh, you know, it could be, you know, up to to hundred million in turnover, potentially, um, one client, you know, is around the 700 million, uh, space that we deal with, but, um, they're on the higher end of who we look after, but really it's, um, I think the size of the business doesn't matter because, you know, you're still dealing with, with hefty sums, regardless of what size business you are for the most part. Uh, we're also seeing this with, um, I guess the, the recent property brim, um, you know, people are losing huge sums of money because somebody's in, you know, intercepted uh, email and, and purporting to be, you know, somebody in that chain of settlement. Uh, and people are losing huge amounts of money there, even just on a personal basis. Um, yeah, like the deposit. I've heard some news yeah. about uh, somebody in, in the West transferred the home loan deposit to some other location or something. Yeah, and there was even a property purchase I saw that was, I think, 500000 plus. Uh, as a, a sum that was lost, it's uh, I think WA from memory. So, yeah, it's 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 absolutely rife at the moment. And you know, for I guess the modern day criminal, um, it's so much easier to to you know make money through cyber scams, so to speak, rather than you know crime in the street or something. So the world's changed dramatically over the last even five years in terms of just how how often these these claims happen. It's just absolutely everywhere. So again, it's not a matter of if you have a claim, it's just when. Uh, it will happen to, to every business at some point. So this is payment redirection. What you mentioned also social engineering. Can you shed some light on what how what's the impact? So here, obviously, payment is lost. So you know, the, I act as a supplier, and I send you an email saying, hey, Steve, you know, I've changed my bank account. The email looks kind of similar to the supplier's email. And I've basically sent you saying, please transfer these funds to this account. Mm-hmm. And you've done it. And you basically, then you realize that it is sent to the wrong account. You're for a fraudulent account and the money's disappeared, right? Yeah. Yep. And then you then you make a claim to, you know, get that money back, right? So that's payment redirection. What what about social engineering? What's the actual impact to the business in social engineering? Yeah, so social engineering, I guess, is cyber fraud uh, or theft, but it's voluntary. So... Um, you, you haven't had the money stolen from you. You voluntarily made a payment because generally, you know, you've received an email from the CEO saying, quick, I need this payment made urgently. I'm about to jump on a flight. Uh, and then, you know, I can't be contacted for the next few hours. So generally what happens is there's, you know, uh, email compromise occurs and somebody has access to, to that person's email and they sit back and watch really how the business operates, who reports to who, uh, how emails are sent, what language is used, and uh, this 
bad actor, so to speak, um, you know, impersonates the, the CEO or somebody else in a position of power and tricks you into making a payment that you shouldn't make. Um, so that's not a, a theft claim, it's voluntary. Um, and yeah, there, there is a basically an extension of cover on side, but generally that, that you have to take out to have that cover. But we're seeing huge amounts of, uh, of losses. So that's a separate kind of a policy and a cover, is it? Uh, it's not covered under whole cyber? No, it's part of cyber, but generally it's, a, it's an optional extension. So you, you have to have you know, that added onto the policy for cover to, to be put in place. Uh, insurers don't have you know, identical wording, so they're slightly different to each other. Some insurers will include that automatically, some won't. Uh, and so, the limits... As a user, how do I know if I go tell my clients I've, I've got cyber insurance, mm-hmm. you know, is there a checklist? Like, you know, you'll be covered if this, if this, if, like, if, is there a list? Yeah. Is that an easy checklist? <laughs> yeah. If I can put in that. For you to provide to your client to say, I'll... Yeah, so, so, cover up. so these are, you know, I'm just trying to... It's like, oh... Uh, I, I I bought comprehensive insurance for my car. Yeah. In general, I know what that covers, right? You know, bas- basically, co- I can get third-party insurance or comp. Third-party means any act I I'm involved in, the third party is covered. Yeah. You know, but uh, you know, if if I get hit by someone, then I, I'm not covered because you know, I, someone else's fault, I still get. So, in car insurance, I think it's a mature uh, product. You know, as a normal the driver of a car, I understand that, but as cyber insurance, you know, I'm seeing there are so many ifs and buts, right? You know, if if you're negligent, it's not covered or it's covered sometimes. So there are, is it fair to say there's gray areas in the policy itself? Yeah, you know, so I guess as a as a lay person, um, it's, it would be quite hard to compare one insurer's cyber wording versus another uh, because they're, they're not even written in the same way. So you can't sit there and go line by line and, and look at the differences in cover. It's really you have to look at the co- the policy, which is a contract as a whole, versus the other as a whole. So it's, um, I think getting the, the right advice from a, an insurance broker is, is absolutely paramount. And that's what you do. You you, yes. can, you can read and actually yes. tell the difference and say, hey, Ajay, this is a much better cover and better value for money, right? That's how you get yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. But it's not that one insurer is better value for money in all cases. It depends on the specific circumstances. So I guess something like motor insurance is very mature. Um, it's also, uh, there's a lot of legislation and compliance around a motor product um, to a point that it's it's somewhat commoditized um, that you can almost compare to motor insurers policies and they'd be very similar. They'll also, they'll always have small differences, but nothing like what you see with cyber. So cyber is not a, a retail product. Um, it's, it's not something that you can buy directly from an insurer. You have to go through a, an insurance broker okay. in Australia. So, um, and the reason for that is that uh, a general insurer that provides it or provides products to the market directly, uh, somebody like a motor insurer or a home insurer, they, they can only give general advice. So they can only say, this is what our product covers uh, and pretty much take it or, or leave it. This is just what you get. And they're not sitting there looking at your personal circumstances saying, you know, your specific business has all these exposures that are unique to you. Therefore, this is the right product for you. And that's really where an insurance broker, which, you know, the, the term needs to change over time and really be an insurance advisor because that's really what we do. Uh, we're not just there to sell a product. We're there to look at your exposure 
and basically give you advice as to what the best product is for you. And it's really about the coverage first and, and price second. Um, a lot of people buy purely on price and that's where, you know, a lot of the time you're not really getting the cover you, you could get. And it would cost you a lot more at the time of a claim. Uh, you know, so you might say $200 going with this insurer, but at claim time, it's going to cost you a hell of a lot more. So uh, getting that right advice is is very, very important uh, because, you know, as any business owner, you, you don't have time there to sit and, and understand and learn what a cyber policy is and what it covers and, and compare, you know, 10 insurers policy wordings and, and try to work out what's best for you. Um, you don't have all that inherent knowledge and experience uh, of dealing with these things all the time. Um, so rather than you spend all your time, which is much better use somewhere else running your business, um, you engage an expert to give you that advice. And also as well, if, if that broker gives you advice and, and for some reason there's a mistake made, they've got their professional indemnity insurance to, to protect as well. So whereas if you do all that yourself, even if you could purchase a policy directly, um, you know, you, you don't have any of that protection in place. Because uh, you've made that error in choosing the product. But what I'm hearing is there are not many insurers anyway selling cyber. So you may end up with only one insurer yeah. of you have money. Probably, yeah. If you really Again, yeah, and it depends on, on your specific activities. You know, what are, what are you doing? Uh, and obviously every business has an inherent risk um, that you cannot, you simply cannot reduce. Uh, by doing what you do, there's a certain amount of risk. Then on top of that is the way you do business. So there's things that you have control of. Um, so I guess the idea is with mitigation to reduce that, that outside exposure down to the core of what your business is or what it does and you know, anything more than that you've got no control over, um, unless you, you know, try something different as a business, but, um, yeah, you know, it's about controlling what you can and understanding and, and knowing that, okay, I've got this exposure. Uh, I've chosen to not insure that for whatever reason that I'm aware of it, um, that's, that's and so because there are certain businesses like our business we can't operate without cyber even if i choose to yeah if i say yeah we'll accept it there's no way we can because our customers expect us to have that insurance yeah exactly. so and then there are clients out there who i work with who who are free will as in they can choose to have insurance or not they can choose to have cyber security or not right yeah and those are the ones who are out there exposed not knowing the impact right and it's, it's very sad to see that some organizations only realize after the fact, after they've had a breach, and it will cost them a lot of money and time and pain and, you know, everything else. Yeah, yeah. But in the last two, three years, you know, there's so much happened with cyber, especially with uh, ransomware and crypto lockers. Mm -hmm. What's been your, you, know, you, you mentioned, you know, the redirection of funds and the social engineering. Is, is that the order and next is ransomware or ransomware is actually you know, gaining more uh, traction? I would, would say as a general trend, uh, ransomware was right up there until uh, maybe a year and a half, two years ago when we started to see payment misdirection and um, social engineering um, take that over. Uh, it's certainly the most common exposure that, that, that we see, um, but that doesn't mean that the other uh, avenues of loss have, have gone anywhere else you know, and certainly people are trying to um you know make good money from using ransomware against people um i think now with you know the adoption of cryptocurrency becoming more mainstream um they're, they're getting a lot more brazen so they're asking for a lot higher amounts than before and generally as well i guess you know uh, four or five years ago 
you know, the demand might be for five thousand dollars of Bitcoin. You know, it's it's much more than that these days. And generally, when somebody's infiltrated the system and and they they've got access to all the information they do, generally that includes your financials as well. And so they know how much money you've got, and they know how much to to um, you know ask for a ransom. So um, they know you can pay up. So you know, I guess the the people that are uh, committing these acts are a lot more deliberate and educated now, and uh, you know they know what to to do and how to push people's buttons. Uh, one thing with ransomware is there is talk of the potential for ransoms to be outlawed. Um, so because insurance companies. Uh, if it makes sense, are paying these ransoms? If the information can't be recovered another way, uh, and there's thought that you know, by insurance companies paying these ransoms, it's legitimising them and it's making make the problem worse. But um, I think even if that was taken off the table and insurers weren't able to pay ransom, that we would still see this happen because, again, uh, you know, people doing this are seeing how much money you have and know how much you can afford to pay them. Uh, they're being a lot smarter about it, so. I don't know if that'll have a, a big impact on on losses overall, but um, there's certainly talk about it. So, uh, or at least ransoms being uh, reported to a government body that, that keeps all of this information and it can use it for data purposes. So it's, um, yeah, that's certainly a landscape that, that's changing all the time. So is that an industry specific, right? You know, are, are these, in your experience, looking at your, you know, the clients you deal with, whether they are, they're your clients or do you just advise them? Have you seen a kind of a pattern of, of you know, payment reduction for this type of companies and social engineering? Are, are hackers actually targeting industries? Um, in certain ways, yes. So anyone in, in the property space, I think, is, is being, being a falling victim a lot more to payment misdirections or redirections, sorry. Uh, but it, it's pretty much, yeah, apart from that, I would say that it's generally pretty even across the industry. So um, certainly businesses are being specifically at a tar- like target specifically. Um, so someone might go after them intentionally and then use them as a, a target. Other times it's really just a shotgun approach and we'll see who falls victim to this. We'll just send it out to 10,000 addresses and see what happens. Um, they'll catch somebody definitely if, if they do that. So it, it's a bit of a mixed bag, I think. Uh, but I think as time goes on, we might start to see uh, certain industries, you know, falling more victim to certain types of attacks. But generally, any any of these uh, you know, areas of, of exposure could, could theoretically happen to anyone. So again, if, if you've got an email address and you're running a business, you've definitely got a cyber exposure. Um, I guess, you know, until recently it was, you know, if you start a business, the first policy to take out is, is public liability because uh, you don't want a $20 million claim because um, you simply can't afford it, even though the risk is very small. We're starting to really see that, you know, liability and cyber should really be the first policies any business has before we even think about insuring the building, the stock or anything else, uh, which is, which is um, a little bit hard for people to grasp, I think, because it's an intangible risk. So, uh, and that physical asset that's sitting there that, um, you know, as humans, we, we can perceive that risk a lot easier. Uh, the intangible stuff is a lot more expensive in most cases, but is a little bit harder to, to really appreciate for, for the average person. And actually comprehend, because I think yeah. many businesses don't even realize what's the value of their data, right? Yeah. If data is, is stolen from their business, 
you know, I've had businesses tell me, oh, we, if we have a ransomware attack, we've got mobile phones, we can work off that, right? You know, now either they're completely ignorant or they actually have business continuity plans to be able to run it, right? So we, you know, obviously these businesses, we have, we have tried to advise them and guide them, but they're like, no, 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 we are fine, we are fine, right? Now, one of my last questions, what I had in mind is, you know, there's this talk about, you know, your greatest threat is from the inside, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in your experience, have you seen insider-based attacks or disgruntled ex-employee left the business, has still access to the systems? What's your comments on that? Yes, I haven't firsthand seen any any claims like that. I've certainly heard of it. Um, and I think it, it's just, it should be common practice that uh, when someone leaves a, an organization that their access is revoked immediately, there should be things in place or processes in place to make that a quick and simple process so it's not too much work involved or thinking required about it. Um, but yeah, certainly if you have an employee that's that's disgruntled um, and they, they know how your system operates, uh, where the exposures are, and I think, you know, the average employee would understand that of their workplace. Uh, if they really wanted to, they could, you know, do something themselves or, you know, give that information to somebody else. Um, so, yeah, certainly I think um, a lot of it's to do with the processes you have and just understanding that, you know, just because you don't think it will happen to you doesn't mean it won't. Uh, it will at some point. And if you can prevent that happening with a, a no-cost or low-cost solution, um, why would you not do it? It's um, it's a no-brainer in, in our opinion. Um, you know, it, it might just take a little bit of time to get those processes in place. But, you know, there's obviously places to better get that advice uh, from someone like yourself or, or from their insurance broker, um, you know, to understand where the exposure is. And even if they don't take out an insurance policy, um, doing what they can to prevent the risk. Um, again, uh, prevention is better than cure. Cure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. Definitely. No, wonderful. Thank you, Stephen. But the jury is still out whether, you know, customers will buy insurance or will, will do cybersecurity. I need to do both. <laughs> they need to do both. <laughs> but but we'll know as we go. But yeah. really, thank you so much for uh, you. sparing your Friday afternoon, uh, coming and having this chat with us. Yeah. Uh, this is Stephen again from Ardent Insurance. So, uh, so thank you to our audience who, who have spent time listening on this podcast or knowledge uh, series. So... So thank you, Stephen, and uh, enjoy your Friday. Yeah, no thank you. Thank you, Roger. Yeah, bye-bye. <laughs> Cheers.